Uh, welcome, everyone. I'm, I'm glad we're here. I love us being the church. I love what God's doing through the church. And really, I just love the grace and the unity and the mercy and the love and the faithfulness and the goodness and the gentleness and the list goes on and on and on and on and on of all the incredible things, not just of God, but through His church and, and everything that goes along with that. So last week, uh, we talked about how the church is God's chosen people coming together to worship Him. This week, it's along similar lines, but it's a little bit different. And, uh, you know, through God's grace, the church functions as one in Christ. Uh, this is a spiritual gift type of conversation, but at the same time, it's more about the unity and the diversity and these talents that we all have and how each one of us being called by God are ridiculously, and I might even say desperately, important to the life of the church. So, without further ado, let us pray. Let's begin talking about God. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning just to be here in your word and to worship you, to completely dedicate our hearts and our minds and every part of us to the honoring of you, whether it be by lips or thoughts or... Um, just the heart in general, Lord. So you know where we're going today as you've laid this upon us, that uh, may this be a blessing. May this uh, not be condemnation, but let there be conviction in this. As uh, Paul's application for the massive theology of the gospel is done in Romans, uh, let it illuminate our hearts and our minds and let us just rightly see you but let us rightly see us in light of you. So all this I pray in our Lord and Savior Jesus' name. Amen. And so our sermon text for today is Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And while you're finding that in the Bibles in front of you, just to give you a little bit of background, um, Romans 12 is kind of the, the turning point chapter, if you will. 1 through 11 is a massive doctrinal, theological um, Everything that's out <laughs> as far as the gospel that you could possibly think of after 30 years of ministry with Paul to illuminate exactly what the gospel is and everything else. And the beauty of Romans uh, that most people might not know is that Paul had never actually been to the church in Rome when he wrote this letter to them in the first place. So this is after 30-some years of ministry and after knowing that there's a church in Rome, not one that he established himself, but knowing that he writes this massive Massive letter. Uh, just beautiful letter. And so we see in the first 11 chapters the, the theology, the brokenness of man, the holiness of God, and God's plan of redemption, and how everything's always worked by faith. It was never by law, it was never by works, it was never anything like that. And then here when we turn the corner in chapter 12, this is application. This is like, well, what do we do? Like, all that theology is great, what do we do? And I just want you all to know, praise the Lord, that I didn't choose verses 1 and 2 because I, there are guys that have done 10 sermons just on those two verses. No joke. No joke. Like, it's, it's that serious. Like, turning the corner. It's a massive turning the corner. I, and then I chose 3 through 8. And then, like, well, you know, that's going to be kind of long too, right? So, 
all right, but it's not going to be that long. And, and it's very good, a very solid text. And so it, it's the gifts of grace. And, and it's really important in our own individual walks, uh, as you see on the, the sheets in front of you, the, the three different points that we have, I think you need to know why you fit in. Like, it's pretty important to know as the church why, why you fit in, why you're welcome, why, why you're here in the first place, so to speak. And, and then the other parts. The, the unity does not mean uniformity. We embrace diversity. And then all in all, as, as Christians, as, as believers, faith faces the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. There needs to be this massive trust of God. Like, the foundation of every single relationship is trust. And so let's not make a mistake that our Lord is indeed good. And I hope everyone in this room and everyone listening in different states has indeed tasted and seen that the Lord is good because He is. <laughs> okay? And so working out those three things, that's what we're talking about today. And then by God's grace, the church functions as one in Christ. And so last week was, was a bit of overall arcing what the church is, and this is what we're doing. And next week's going to be just like that too. So, so bear with us. Let's enjoy the ride. It's going to be a good one. So, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Starting off, verse 3, first point, understanding why you fit in. And this actually goes back to the very first sermon that I ever did at Gospel Life Bible Church. It's a, a near and dear one, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But understand this, that for by the grace given to me, what Paul's saying here, we need to acknowledge that by the grace of God, we ultimately are what we are. That Jesus is changing our lives and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being transformed into Christ's likeness. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And so understanding Paul's theology, because he's giving a command here. And, and he's giving it not out of bullish authority, if you will, because, hey, I'm an apostle. I saw Jesus. I was there. I did these things. But he's doing it out of, out of love and concern for the church. And one thing about Paul and what's going on here is the, the Christians, um, Paul had come from a background where Jews thought of themselves as God's chosen people, which is truth, right? 
Absolutely. The Jews were God's chosen people. But they thought that they were chosen for privilege rather than service, which is false, that everything was going to be done for them and handed to them and things of this. He wants to make sure here that Christians don't take on a superior attitude. So where we're going is that by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, so this is everyone in the church, this is both Jews, the God's original chosen people, and these are the Gentiles that are, that are grafted into God's massive plan of the gospel to redeem all tribes, all nations, different people from every nationality. And so we see that, that by, by grace, and then he wants you to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Because, especially when we talk about things like spiritual gifts, there becomes, well, my gift's better than your gift. You know, like, what did you get for Christmas this year? Well, I got such and such, and so, well, I just got a rock. Well, I'm better than you, right? That's kind of how we think about gifts in a sense. Like, we, we measure them, we value them. But it's very clear biblically that at the foot of the cross, everyone's the same. Like, there are people with different talents in here, and that's a good thing. And there are people with outspoken talents. And the measure of faith that we're going to talk about here in a second, but don't think of yourself more highly. And here's the problem, is that the natural human response is one of two things, okay? When we talk about spiritual gifts here, there's two responses. It's pride and arrogance, like what I just kind of said about the, the gifts. But there's also pride in insecurity. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm not going to do and be a part of something because I'm not comfortable with myself and who I am. That's just as much pride as arrogance is pride. And that's both sides of the coin that we face. So a lot of people are like, what's the greatest problem facing the church today? Well, let's be honest, it's you. <laughs> it, it's yourself. It's, we're the greatest problem facing the church today because we are human beings that are prideful and boastful. Like, being created in the image of God, like, if we were to really simplify it, it's like, well, I act like God. That's kind of what it is. It's all about me, myself, and I, and that's just kind of what I do. And when we see ourselves as we really are, as we really are in light of God, it is impossible to be given over to pride in itself. Whether it, whether it take the arrogant form or whether it takes the insecurity form, it, it's impossible to be given over to pride. And think about it this way. One of the most basic and hardest to live out tenets of, of the Christian walk is to die to self, right? Like, I no longer live for myself. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live according to the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. But it's also what baptism symbolizes, dying to self. And that's at the heart of a lot of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, as well as uh, throughout the entirety of the Gospels, what Jesus had taught us. And so, die to yourself, live for others, right? Like, that doesn't sound very appealing, especially when we consider the culture that we live in. Here in America, we have a tendency to live for myself and live to myself, right? Live to myself and live for myself. 
And so we do this in a lot of different ways. And uh, one of the most interesting phenomenons I think that's going on out there is what is affectionately called consumer Christianity um, versus being a contributing Christian. And there are very clear parallels in this. Um, consumer Christianity. Think about it this way. Um, as consumers, we are not customers as the church. Okay? We're, we're not here to be served and to um, have others give us things. Like, we're here to use our gifts and our talents. Um, so we're not a customer. We're a, a member of the church. But more so, I always want to think in regards to this question, like, why are you here? Why am I here? Why are we doing the things that we're doing the way that we do them? Is it because it sounds good? Is it traditional? Is it, is it just fun? But no, this whole consumer Christianity has kind of uh, changed things. Um, a consumer Christian, let's just do the parallels. A consumer Christian comes to be served, whereas a contributing Christian comes to serve. A consumer Christian is entitled versus a contributing Christian is grateful. A consumer Christian will complain <laughs> about something that's just not right or the way that they like it versus a contributing Christian is here to encourage and to help out. A consumer Christian can criticize versus a contributing Christian will empower. And this is probably the biggest one that you see within the church and especially as we are about to embark on the conversation of spiritual gifts. A consumer Christian will compete versus a contributing Christian will partner. So last week we talked briefly about fellowship and how fellowship is about relationship, partnership, and then stewardship. You know, kind of the three in one. And so this is a big deal. And so think about it this way, and I repeat myself here. Who are we here for? More importantly, why are we here? And these are important things to consider in our walk and also understanding why we fit in. Because most people make themselves a priority as, as is you know, the, the nature of pride, the nature of being created in the image of God, the nature of being little gods ourselves. And we make ourselves a constant priority. And, and we'll critique things. We, we will critique things. We will do things. Um, this is just a, a, a short list. And I, and I know that we've all done this. And so I know that the Holy Spirit will convict us here. Don't let the devil condemn you on this, but be aware of these things, okay? So think about this. Do I enjoy... This is the number one thing that we hear about all the time. And, and, and it, it kills me, and I love it, and I just want Kim to know that I'll always stand behind her back, but it's always the music. <laughs> it's always about the music. For the most part, uh, the constant priority, people are like, oh, that's not the kind of music that I like or the worship music that I like, things like that. Um, then the list goes on and on and on after that. Like, are there people my age? Is the size of the church too big? Is the size of the church too small? What's the, what, the temperature like? How's the seating? Are they nice chairs? Is it pews? Is it dirty? How do the bathrooms look? You know, all these different things. My, my sermon. Yeah, we all know this. <laughs> and then, you know, 
the sermon too long. Like, we all been there. I, I know what I'm doing up here, and, and I'm sorry sometimes it gets a little long, but I, I love the Lord, and I love His Word, and I'm not sorry at the same time, because this is a calling, and this is what we're here for. And when we, can, when we consider the one hour a week, roughly, uh, versus the, oh shoot, I should have remembered, was it 127, 172 hours in a week? Something to that effect, 24 times 7. Um, yeah, when you consider all the hours, like it's so minimal, and yet for, for some of us, it's just so challenging to worship God. But we're the church 24-7. We're not like this. And so, again, understanding uh, why we fit in. And then on the other side, too, just so you know this, there's this huge issue of seeing others with contempt, being jealous of one another, uh, being like, oh, you know, this person did that, and that person did this, and, you know, because of things like, sometimes even 10 years ago, like, I can't be a part of what's going on here because such and such and doing this. And so, uh, watch out for this pride. Like, Paul, Paul clearly says it right here. Like, it's in the beginning of the application. Like, okay, we just finished. Like, if you turn back to 11, the doxology, who has known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor? Who's given a gift? Like, he's, he's singing all these wonderful praises of God for all the work that he's done. And then he's talking about your consecration in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1, about your dying to self, being spiritually worshipped. Then he's talking about your transformation in verse 2. And then the next thing he is, is like, quit being prideful. <laughs> like as if that's easy or that's something that we can do or that's law or legalism but it's so important to be aware of the the damage and the destruction that we as the church can do because by God's grace the church functions as one in Christ and it is a beautiful thing and you know what you're all different <laughs> like whether you look at it from a biblical standpoint or whether you look at it from a scientific standpoint each and every one of you are different. You're not all going to agree on the same thing, and we need to embrace that. We need to. Uh, one of my favorite things, uh, Proverbs, one of my favorite Proverbs that uh, for when I was a student at Moody is, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And I've learned a lot from people. I've learned what to do just as much as I've learned what not to do <laughs> at the exact same time. And again, it's a good thing, but... Where are we in this? Where is our pride? Do we consider ourselves more important than we ought to? And as Paul says here, not to think of yourself more highly, but to think with sober judgment, to reason about these things. I hope that we've been able to reason over the past 14 weeks, Jennifer. Hard to believe, right? 14 weeks. But as, as we keep going through these sermons, as we keep being the church, as we keep being in parts of events and, and things like that, that, that we continue to be able to reason and to, to stand in Christ because this is not a joke. This has never been a joke. Like The reason that, that I'm here is because God, Jesus, changed my life and, and, and woke me up, removed the scales from my eyes. And so that's why all of us in the church are here. It's by the grace given to us. And so how can we be prideful? How can we be like, my gifts are better than your gifts, ha-ha, when it's nothing that you've done yourself. It's nothing that you've earned. It's, it's nothing on you. It is all entirely by God's grace and his unmerited favor. So this is why everyone that is God's church, God's chosen people, 
belongs in the church. And remember, it's not just the local church that we're talking about, it's the universal. While we're talking about the local church again here in Romans, understand that God's believers are everywhere in a multitude of facets, in a multitude of different church buildings worshiping this morning. There is a universal church that's out there. And so the, the shame is we can't read hearts and minds, but if we had this fellowship, this relationship, and this partnership, and this stewardship with other people, we would be able to see the fruit of their lives to know, is their love growing? Is their joy growing? Is their peace growing? Is their patience growing? Is their faithfulness and goodness and gentleness? And is there self-control? And has Jesus taken control of these things? Or... As Paul says here, are they in it for themselves? Are they looking to get something out of the church? Are they looking just to appease them? Or are they like, man, I'm just kind of burnt out. I've done all these great things for you, God. Now is just my time to be me and sit in a pew and maybe I'll come and you're just kind of lucky if I show up on Sunday mornings. So, you know, this is one of those things. But again, don't make ourselves a priority and understand that why we fit in, and, and that there's a great uh, nature of us as Christians that, that's in there. So, watch out for pride. And going, continuing here in the verse, though, um, each according to the measure of faith that God's assigned. I'm sorry, I missed this part. This actually ties into verse 6, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Uh, just very simply understand this, that this is not salvation-based. Um, there's no measure of faith for salvation. You either have saving faith or you don't have saving faith. It's really quite that simple. This is the measure of faith and, and what measure of grace, if you will, that God has given to each believer to perform their certain tasks within the church. Because he has blessed each one that he has called with um, gifts to serve others. Understand also that these gifts are not like your personal gifts. There's much debate over speaking in tongues because no one else can understand what you're saying <laughs> when you're speaking in tongues. So that one kind of falls under a personal gift, but, but we're not per se talking about that right now. Just understand the gifts and the measure of the gifts that God gives you. Again, you know, how can there be pride when it's not something that we've earned? It's not something that we've, we've gained? It's not something that ultimately we deserve? So how can we be prideful about these things? Because it's all based on God's unmerited favor. And so moving on to verse 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So unity does not mean uniformity, and in fact, quite the opposite. We embrace the diversity because, very simply, everyone's diverse. Everyone's different. Like, there are many uh, body of believers where everyone's got to look alike, you know, wear the same clothes, be from the same socioeconomic status, be of the same race, be of the same ethnicity, and... And honestly, that's not the church. That's not God's ultimate church. That might be a local little body that way, but we embrace that diversity. And if everybody looks alike, and especially when you consider our uh, 
two scripture readings. We're one body, many different parts. That 1 Corinthians 12 reading that uh, Liam did for us, uh, that's that very powerful. I would encourage you to, to read that in perhaps your, your studies this week or your time of reflection or whatever it is. Uh, also, as you, know, you consider your own gifts and your own calling and your own acts of service from God in this regard. But, uh, and the same with that First Peter reading that we had too. That's the reason why I chose them, is, is kind of part of this point, is that you see that, that each part is unique. Like I remember the old Lever soap commercials. You and all your 2,000 body parts. There are a lot of body parts that we have, but soap will not clean my esophagus. I've tried. Had your mouth washed out with soap before? Like, it just doesn't work. I've tried. So I'm just going to kill that right there for you, just so soap doesn't work for everything. Um, but at the same time, the human body is amazing. I don't know if you know this, but there are 10 trillion cells that make up your body. Like, I could go through all the, the, the systems, things like that, but this isn't a, you know, a lesson on anatomy or anything like that. But I do have a, a question for you, and this kind of ties back into uh, the first section here about understanding why we fit in and then also to watch out for pride. Do you know that there are 206 bones in your body? Okay? 206 of these guys. Uh, varying shapes, sizes. It keeps you upright. It also delivers nutrients and minerals throughout each part of your body and, and you know, all that different stuff. And not, not talking about the amazingness of your circulatory system or your cardiovascular and, and all these things that, that keep going in you that you have no, no say over and control over. It is perhaps, since some people take out God, the most brilliant accident that has ever existed is the human being. <laughs> so, but I know God, and I know that we are not an accident. I know that we're here for a purpose, just like I know the church is here for a purpose. So, 206 human bones in my body to keep it upright, right? How many bones do you want to get rid of? Come on now. None, right? Like, let's be real. Nobody wants to get rid of a bone. No one wants to be like, hey, I'm going to take my femur out, which is this gigantic bone here in your leg, your, your like, thigh bone, things like that. No one, no one says that. I want to be shorter. <laughs> right? I'm going to take out my femur, things like that. Okay? Ready to be convicted? Hypothetically, there are 206 members in this church. How many members do you want to get rid of? Because you don't get along with them. Because you don't agree with them to some degree. I would hope none, but I know the truth of my own sin, okay? I know that I don't get along with everybody and everything, but you must see that I have the problem, not the church has the problem, or not this other person. Like, this human epidemic that we have, especially when we consider like the, the sin of pride, the ultimate sin, if you will, the pride of life, like where we get our identity, where we get our meaning, what we worship, all these different things uh, lead us to preconceived notions. And then when you fit in the cultural Christianity versus the contributing Christian and what the world and society thinks, there are many, 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 many people who are led astray because of this. And it's really sad and it's really unfortunate because the church, by grace, functions as one in Christ. Okay? Functions as one. Like, you're not going to get rid of bones out of your body 
So why do you think, you know, I understand that, that there are extenuating circumstances, but, but don't miss, then follow the point of this, that, that we don't always want to be members of a body because of sometimes other people and our feelings and our actions towards other people. And, and that's nonsense. And that's what Paul's saying here. So you see that in one body we have many members and the members don't have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Um, we err when we neglect either aspect, especially when you consider verse 5. One body, yet individual members. We err when we neglect either aspect. Unity should never be promoted at the expense of individuality. I don't need you all to look like me or talk like me or act like me. And praise the Lord, you don't, right? Praise the Lord. Like, like this is a good thing. Can you imagine if, if the church was full of all the same people? Like, kind of like if they were all ears or if this was like the consumer thing, they were all mouths just complaining. <laughs> complaining about how nothing's ever good enough, about the world being broken, things like that, things of that nature. Um, unity should never be promoted at the expense of individuality, and then on that exact same coin, individuality should never diminish the church's essential unity in Christ. That's why we're all here, is because of Christ, because of Jesus working in our lives. He is our common ground, and we as human beings, as the church, as God's chosen people, are one body in Christ. And that's important. And so, let me challenge you one more time. <laughs> let the Holy Spirit convict you on this. If you quit being a part of this local church, would anything be missing other than your presence? Rhetorically, just think upon that. Think about that. I'll repeat it one more time for you. If you quit being part of this local church, would anything be missing other than very simply your presence? When you leave, if you move away or something like that, do you want people to be sad that you're leaving or do you want them to be happy that you're leaving? <laughs> it varies, right? <laughs> to each their own. So understand this, you don't go to church, you are the church. It is vitally important that, that you be the church. You are not self-sufficient. This body, these believers, when we are called to saving grace, God calls us to the local church just the same. He doesn't leave us to be solo, to be lone rangers, to handle it alone. Uh, no, there needs to be a lot, and we're about to go through the, the list of, uh, the shortened list, if you will, what Paul has here of the different gifts uh, and how the body builds itself up, if you will. And he gives a little exhortation. He's like, here's the gift, and here's what you do. And it's very simple. <laughs> like, if you prophesy, then you do it. If you teach, then you teach. But at the same time, again, be, be very close with this. So instead of competing or quarreling, which would render the church body less effective to the detriment of all members, the church works best when all its members work in harmony, just as members of the human body work in harmony. The 206 bones, they all work in harmony. You're not going to take out one of your bones, are you? I don't think so. But by grace, the church 
<laughs> was designed to function as one body in Christ. Main idea for today, keep it at the forefront of our thoughts. So, last point, verse 6 through 8. Trust God. Trust God. He has a purpose for you in the church. He does not call people <laughs> to go sit at home and do nothing. Okay? In fact, when we talked about mission last week, it stands for missio. It means to send. It means he's called you to be part of his kingdom. Now he's sending you out back into the world to tell the world about him to some degree. Based on you know, your ministry, who your outreach is, who you work, your, your friends, things of that nature. And so having gifts that differ here in the text... Uh, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. The idea is related to the ancient Greek word for spiritual gifts, which is charismata, okay? Uh, which means, very simply, a gift of grace, which is exactly what it is. Again, it's not something that we've done. In fact, we're born spiritually dead, as we talked about in the initial gospel and Ephesians and things of that nature. So a spiritual gift you know, needs to, first you need to be made alive, then you're given a gift, and then the practice and the use of the gift. And so this is the application of that. Uh, this term uh, was really kind of coined by Paul. And so spiritual gifts, what we need to know in this very first part, is that they're given at the discretion of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, uh, right before our, our scripture reading, says but one and the same Spirit work all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And so God's given you a gift, not just the ultimate gift of salvation, you know, but these gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then He's given us the church to use as an outpouring, as a way to use these gifts for the building up and the edification of others. Your spiritual gifts do nothing by themselves for yourself. They ultimately are here for others. And so if you're not using them on others, you're just not using them on others, I guess, is the moral of the story, right? You're just not. And ultimately, that means that you're, you're not helping. You're not being a part of what God has called you to do. That at the same time, here we are. So spiritual gifts given. Understand that this is an exemplary list, not an, an exhaustive list. This is, there's a lot of spiritual gifts. There's a lot of things that are going on. Um, and while I brought it up earlier, consider it this way, uh, not using the gifts. I had a, a different analogy. Like we've, we've all had children uh, for the most part or seen children open presents. We've all probably watched a, a Christmas story or something like that, and you see these, these kids uh, open presents. Like we saw in the Christmas story, really, really, really wants that Red Ryder BB gun. Like really, really, really wants it. Um, he gets it in the end, but how many presents, like you think about the pink bunny costume that he got, like, mm, who really wants a pink bunny costume as a present? But us don't, right? And so sometimes with these spiritual gifts, like just the same as you see with children, because we are God's children, as chosen by that, that uh, there are some unused presents. There are some things that, that we don't use. And I wonder if, if, if God essentially gets upset. Like, he's given us wonderful gifts, 
And some of us have ripped the paper off. We've looked at the gifts. We, we've laid them over in the corner, and we haven't touched them since. You know, we've kind of walked away, if you will, and we're like, ah, my gifts aren't, aren't that good. Like, it could be the pride of arrogance, or it could be the pride of insecurity working and dwelling in your life. And so consider these gifts. Consider them and consider the grace given to you in your life. Consider the calling on your life, understanding and knowing that you fit in, um, and then understanding that your diversity is indeed embraced and it's indeed useful and necessary. And so here we'll go through these seven things. Uh, I, I want to be very frank with you that these seven things we could go over like 10 to 20 minutes each in detail. We could point out biblical things, but I, I want to touch the surface here with you and understand. And then individually, as we meet throughout the week, we can talk about different, uh, different ways that perhaps your spiritual gifts are working, or I know that there are tests out there, or things of that nature. But I want you to, to be wary of these other facets because we are one in Christ. We have different gifts, and it's for the point of building up the body. And so prophecy, uh, very quickly, understanding biblical prophecy. Um, in the biblical sense, it isn't foretelling. I'm not telling something about the future that's going to happen. I am forthtelling. I'm telling you about God's Word. That, 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 in essence, is the gift of prophecy. It's more accurately foretelling the heart and mind of God, declaring truth that has already been revealed in proportion. Even though it says our faith here, understand that it's the faith, the Christian faith. Understand that it is about Jesus, and it's about the gospel in itself, that this is our faith. Because Paul's writing to these Christians that he's never met before in Rome, and so he's talking about our faith but it is the faith. It is the faith in Christ. And so that's what we do. We're, we're forthtelling the heart and mind of God, declaring truth that's already been revealed, Scripture, all the prophecy of Christ. And so the second one, if prophecy, if service in our serving, very simple, right? Uh, but service, understand that the, the Greek word is diakonian. And so that's actually where we get the word deacon from. It's uh, diaconus is, is a deacon, and that's actually where we get it from. And it's service. Um, and it has to do with practical service. And there's a really good example in Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7. We won't go there, but just keep that in mind, that that's where the first deacons were seen, if you will, and, and that that word was actually used. Um, it is generally assumed that Acts 6, 1 through 7 tells the story of instituting deacons. It's the gift used by the seven um, in that story, and what they did was they took care of the physical needs in the early church so that the apostles would be free for prayer in the ministry of the word. It isn't just the ability to do a job that needs to be done so others can exercise their gifts, but the right attitude in doing it. People with this gift love to do whatever they can to enhance the ministry. They see what needs to be done, and they do it joyfully for the glory of the Lord and the strengthening of his work. So there you go. There you have service. Um, and, uh, I have to be honest that every Christian is called to serve, right? <laughs> like, this isn't some special gift that's only to some. 
it's really for all Christians everywhere. Now, there are different capacities of service, most definitely, but understand that, that service, for sure, is, is definitely something that is in and within all Christians. And then the next one, teaching, very quickly. Uh, we cannot grow in discipleship without learning many things, uh, especially what the Bible says. Very important. Uh, while we can learn a great deal by reading the Bible on our own, much of the Bible will remain opaque unless we have a teacher who can help us to understand. Teaching is an important gift, whether we are seminary professors or teachers of small children or children's ministry or things of that nature. All, all the teachers are important, make no mistake. And so pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. Like, you just need to know that, too, when it comes to spiritual gifts. There are many of you that, that clearly can teach. Uh, and I know it, and I've seen it, and I've seen you do it with little children. I've seen you do it with your own children. I've seen you do it as a profession. Uh, many people can teach. And so praise the Lord that, that those gifts are here within the church because it's for building up into the, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, yeah especially what the Bible says. Oh, teach especially what the Bible says. Like any authority that any of us have comes from the Word of God. Otherwise, it's just Eric's opinion. And, and you don't want Eric's opinion, most definitely. Um, exhortation, the next one on the list, the one who exhorts and is exhortation. Understand that exhortation means encouragement. Those who encourage. And this comes, again, twofold. Uh, on one hand, the people with this gift can challenge believers. They challenge believers to live as God wants them to live, to press on to higher ground in their Christian walk, and to become more like their Savior. That's the challenging side of being uh, an encourager. On the same side, they can comfort those, or on the opposite side, they can comfort those who are discouraged and depressed so that their burden is lifted and new hope springs up in their hearts. They are motivated to keep on in the Christian struggle when before they, they may have been ready to throw in the towel and to drop out. So exhortation. Understand exhortation and encouragement. Encouragement. There are those with the gift of encouragement. And again, this isn't the master list. There are many more uh, like subcategories within each of these categories. This isn't exhaustive. It's just highlighting seven of what Paul is writing to the Romans here. And so the one who contributes, the one who gives, to give generously, God gives to some individuals either an unusual ability to earn and give money to God's work or an unusual level of pleasure in giving what they do have, however little or however much that may be. They love to give. They give generously and they trust God to meet their own needs. The person with the gift of giving has no ulterior motive for giving. He isn't trying oops, to get praise from anybody. He's not trying to impress people or by influence. He just sees the need and wants to help meet the need. And so that essentially is the person who contributes in this regard. The one who leads Leadership is indeed a gift. If you're a sports fan, you know the difference that a good coach can make, right? I've seen good coaches and bad coaches, uh, organized teams versus ununified teams, if you will. And businesses pay top dollar for top leadership. But leaders need a vision 
for what needs to be done and the ability to work well with other people. But most especially, a leader needs to be diligent, persistent in pursuit of the goal, careful to do the work well. So, in regards to Christ and his word and the gospel, like, you need to lead with those goals in mind. How is this building? How is this helping? How is this leading someone else? And so leadership, most definitely, uh, spiritual gift. Uh, and lastly, and with zeal, that's the part of the persistence. That's the ongoing, that's the, the moving forward part. And then lastly, mercy. Uh, this is actually one that I rank very, very low in <laughs> when I've done a spiritual test. I am not a merciful man. Uh, you can ask my wife and children. But uh, I love, but I'm just not really merciful. I'm kind of like, well, you, you, you made your bed, didn't you? Now you got to lie in it, right? Like, you know better. I've taught you better. I've trained you better. Like, just not that merciful. So, so the gift of showing mercy is the ability to put yourself in the place of those in need, to feel what they are feeling, which is another word for empathy, and then to do whatever is necessary to help relieve their misery. They just have a knack of knowing what to do to relieve suffering. And maybe you're like that. I just told you I'm not like that. Others are not. I am one of those not. They would rather avoid hurting people. They'd rather avoid these people, the sick, the poor, the aged, the disabled, but they feel a deep hurt inside and are naturally drawn to them. Uh, you want to get personally involved in meeting their needs, and you do it with cheerfulness, like you're genuinely happy to go and do these things. There isn't any other way to exercise this gift because nobody will truly be helped by old, grouchy curmudgeon who ministers to them only out of a sense of obligation or duty. Again, heart motives. Christ is very much so about heart motives in everything that we do. Like, do I have to do this? Because <laughs> when you have to do something, like, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> it's my natural, sinful inclination to not want to do things uh, that I have to do. Now, when I want to do them, boy, that's a whole nother ball of wax, right? Like, like my heart motive, like, I want to do these things. Like, let's go. Like, why are we waiting? Get your shoes, get your coat, let's go. <laughs> right? That's the difference between wanting and having. Having, you're going to be slow. Wanting, you're going to want to do that. And that's the same with, with mercy, with cheerfulness there. And so we see these seven gifts. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. But understand that by grace, you've been blessed with gifts to serve. And by grace, you were called to be part of a church, the local church. You're part of the universal church, but you're also called to be part of the local church, whatever that church is, wherever you live. Like, of course, there are some extenuating circumstances, and I don't want to go into a big uh, debate over, you know, what to look for and what to watch out for, but very simply understand that we are called to be a part of the local church. So therefore, by grace, by God's grace, the church functions as one in Christ. And so point one, remember, you absolutely fit in. You absolutely fit in. Don't make someone make you feel like you don't fit in within a local church. Again, discernment, watching out, things like that. Don't let people watch out for this. Listen to me. God saved you. God saved you. 
God made you to be a part of the local church. God gave you gifts, okay? And as Paul states, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So you are what you are by the grace of God. If you are in Christ, then you are a beloved son and daughter adopted into the kingdom of God. So, at the foot of his cross, as his church, all of us stand equal and understand, again, that we all absolutely fit in. It's very important. In point two, we talked about the diversity as well as the unity. We are absolutely, as the body of Christ, have the unity of faith with one another. I dare say I love you because I love Christ. Like, it's not an easy word for me to say, and I don't use it flippantly. Okay? Understand that. It's important. And we have unity of the faith. That's why, like, we endure with one another. That's why if sometimes we have to put up with one another, if you will. Uh, but hopefully it's not out of have to, it's out of want to because of what Christ has done for us. And so even though we are diverse, you can see that God made us diverse, right? For a reason and for a purpose as we talked about the body and the many different parts that we have. Okay, over 2,000 parts. 10 trillion cells make you up. 206 bones, uh, what is it, 70-some organs? I, again, I don't want to go into an anatomy lesson, but uh, very amazing how we're made, and God made the church that way too. Isn't, isn't that brilliantly awesome? Just the same, that God made the church that way. Just like the human body, diverse with many parts. Therefore, because of God and the gospel of grace, we are unified as one in Christ. Or another way, we are God's chosen people that make up his church. There is no reason for us to not get along in Christ. Remember this, in Christ. Very important. Paul uses this over 160 times in the New Testament. In Christ. This blessing of the Holy Spirit. This changing of your heart and mind. This consecration to yourself. This transformation that Paul's talking about in Romans here. Everything else that goes along with that. The gospel, it's amazing. And then lastly, God has a plan for you. Okay? Like, we need to encourage ourselves to explore this and understand exactly where and how we fit in. But God has a plan for you in his body, his church, to be part of that. God also had the plan to, to send his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem you from the savior of sin and help build you up in his body of believers. So, do you trust him? Do you know him? Are you part of his church? It's a beautiful thing. Praise the Lord for, for us being here and understand that the church in itself functions as one in Christ. And that while we're going to go into this more in detail, this building up and how we build up, it's a beautiful thing. And praise the Lord for this and understand that Sabrina belongs here. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all the blessings in our life. 
Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be a part of your church, to know you and to love you and to serve you and to give you authentic worship. And Lord, we know that we're not perfect. We know that we're sinners. We know that we're broken. We know that we're prideful. We know that we look for a lot of things for acceptance and identity. But Lord, continue to change our hearts and our minds and tune them and transform them to be more like your son, that we may find our identity as his church in him and the gifts that he's given us. So, Lord, um, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.